Moab suffers terrible losses because it has defamed God and his vessels. But Israel does not win either. Moab has publicly blasphemed against the God of Israel, but Israel's king has also engaged in pagan worship and therefore does not deserve to emerge victorious. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 111, The Mesh of Steel and the Eternal Israel. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Today we return to the Louvre, to an ancient stone steel made for Mesha, king of Moab. In describing how it was found and why it is in this museum, I draw directly from the book we have previously cited, the excellent volume, The Lost Treasures of the Bible, by Professors Fant and Reddish, to which I'm greatly indebted for today's talk. In the mid-19th century, a Viennese man by the name of Klein arrived in Jerusalem as an Anglican missionary. In 1868, he left Jerusalem, crossed the Jordan, and entered the area which was once the territory of Moab. There, a Bedouin showed him a stone, which, they assured him, had never been seen by a European. Klein sketched the stone, returned to Jerusalem, and described what he had found. Klein's intention was that Germany would purchase the artifact, so he reached out to the German consul in the Holy Land. But word got out, and a Frenchman by the name of Clermont Genot and the English archaeologist Charles Warren both became interested in the item as well. Clermont Genot sent an Arab man back across the Jordan in order to make what is called a squeeze, which is created by placing a sheet of wet paper over the object and pressing it down into the inscription on the stone, so that when the paper dries, it contains an impression of the writing on the stone. As he was making the squeeze, a fight suddenly broke out among the Bedouin, and in the fracas, the squeeze, still wet, was torn and crumpled. It was this paper that was then brought back to Clermont Genot. Meanwhile, the German consul had succeeded in negotiating a price for the stone and sought to arrange its transportation across the river. Yet a Bedouin from another tribe refused for the stone to enter the portion of territory that was under his control. At an impasse, the Germans asked the Ottoman authorities to intervene, whereupon the Bedouin chieftain angrily smashed the steel and shattered it into a number of pieces. At this point, the German representative gave up on the archaeological treasure, assuming all its value had been lost. He was spectacularly wrong. The Frenchman and Englishman jumped in, with Clermont Genot acquiring more pieces, though between them they were able to get around two-thirds of the original. And that is why this incredible artifact is in the Louvre in Paris, rather than in Germany. And why the crumpled paper that was the squeeze is still used as a resource today. The steel, as it stands at this time, is around 70% original and 30% filled in based on the wet crumpled squeeze that had been made by the Arab representative of the Frenchman. That is also why, when you look at the artifact carefully, it looks like an ancient elaborate jigsaw puzzle. Amazingly, after all that destruction and historic hullabaloo, most of the steel can still be read. And because it relates profoundly to our next chapter in the Book of Kings, we can also appreciate how the artifact points to the very eternity of the Jewish people. The events we describe occur in the 9th century BCE. Israel in the north is ruled by the dynasty of Omri, and Mesha's contemporaries are Omri's son Ahav and Omri's grandson Yehoram, who succeeds Ahav after the latter's death in battle, which we have previously discussed. Under Omri, Moab is subjugated, but in the next generation during either Ahav or Yehoram, Mesha rebels and rampages through the territory of the tribes that live on the east side of the Jordan. Scholars have had little difficulty reading the top lines of the steel, and I will quote to you portions of Mesha's text. The king makes it clear that for him, this is no mere battle between nations, but also between gods, between the Lord of Israel, known by his name, YHVH, 
and his own deity, the Moabite god Chemosh. Mesha's announcement on the steel reads, at least in part, as follows. I am Misha, son of Chemosh, king of Moab the Debonite. My father was king over Moab 30 years, and I became king after my father. And I made this sanctuary for Chemosh at Kirch, a sanctuary of salvation, for he saved me from all the kings and let me see my desire upon my adversaries. Omri, king of Israel, he oppressed Moab many days, for Chemosh was angry with his land. And his son succeeded him, and he too said, I will oppress Moab. In my days he spoke thus, and I saw my desire upon him and upon his house, when Israel perished utterly forever. And Omri had taken possession of the land of Medeba, and Israel dwelt in his days and half the days of his son, forty years. But Chemosh dwelt in it in my days. And I built Balmaon and made in it the reservoir, and I built Karyaten. And the men of God had long dwelt in the land of Ataroth, and the king of Israel had built Ataroth for himself. But I fought against the town and took it, and I slew all the people of the town, a spectacle for Chemosh and Moab. And Chemosh said to me, Go, take Nebo against Israel. And I went by night and fought against it from the break of dawn till noon, and I took it and slew all, 7,000 men, boys, women, and girls, and female slaves, for I had consecrated it to Ashtar Chemosh. And I took from there the vessels of YHVH and dragged them before Chemosh. End quote. This is what is written on the Mesha steel. Here, then, we have a description of the Israelite king Omri subjugating the Moabites during the days of Mesha's father. At some point, Mesha rebels during the reign of Omri's son or Omri's grandson. Mesha massacres many Israelites. And in order to stress that this victory was not only over Israelites, but also, in Mesha's view, over their deity, Mesha describes how he also captured vessels dedicated to the service of the Almighty and how he, Mesha, took those vessels back to the Moabite temple of the god Chemosh. And then we also have, on this steel, an assurance of Israel's utter destruction, the words, Israel perished utterly forever. Now, fascinatingly, this rebellion of Moab versus the house of Omri is also mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahav was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. And the king of Israel went and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. Mesha thus rebels and rampages across Israelite territory, as we are informed by the steel. Thus there is a three-part alliance against Moab, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, meaning the houses of Omri and of David, along with Edom. Most of our recent focus has been on the northern kingdom, and we shall turn soon to the history of the Davidic dynasty in the south. But for now we must know that the northern king Jehoram joins the southern king Jehoshaphat together with the kingdom of Edom so that all three kings seek to battle against Mesha, monarch of Moab. The kings come before the prophet Elisha and seek guidance. Elisha initially refuses to guide the king of Israel. And we see how the history of Baal worship in Israel has so angered Elisha at the dynasty of Ahav. Verse 13, And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, No, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. 
And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely, were not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. In the end, Elisha does prophesy and advises the kings to go to war despite God's anger at the house of Ahav. And Rabbi Amnon Bazak fascinatingly draws on the artifact in the Louvre in order to explain why. It is possible, Rabbi Bazak suggests, that this steel of Mesha was set up as a prominent and public celebration of Moab's original rebellion against Israel, describing not only how he, Mesha, had politically overthrown Ahav's house, but also how he had taken vessels dedicated to the God of Israel and given them instead to his own Moabite deity, Chamosh. Public declarations like this steel were a desecration of the name of God. Thus, on the one hand, the house of Ahav, because of its idolatry, does not deserve to win. But Moab, because of this desecration of God's name, needs to be punished as well. It is with this moral and religious tension in mind that we can focus on what occurs in the battle. At first, Israel is victorious over Moab. Verse 24. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites, so that they fled before them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites, even in their country. But then, at the last moment in the battle, we are informed of an ambiguous ending. The allies, Israel, Judah, and Edom, are about to win. And suddenly, we are told the following. Verse 26. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even unto the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. The simple meaning seems to be that the king of Moab sacrificed his son and then, somehow, was saved in the battle from Israel. Israel did not win. Some medieval Jewish exegetes read this differently that Mesha, who was attempting to capture the king of Edom, but was unable to do so, grabbed and sacrificed the king of Edom's son, the prince of Edom. And at that point, a fury broke out among Israel's allies, the Edomites, who turned on Israel and the alliance fell apart. Another possibility is that the king of Moab does indeed sacrifice his own son to his pagan deity, Chemosh. And at that point, the Moabite troops rally, and God allows Israel to be turned back, because Israel does not deserve to win, because it is also led by those who, like Mesha, worship pagan gods. Thus the ending of the battle. Moab suffers terrible losses because it has defamed God and his vessels, but Israel does not win either. Moab has publicly blasphemed against the God of Israel, but Israel's king has also engaged in pagan worship and therefore does not deserve to emerge victorious. What remains of this story is a biblical account studied to this day by the Jews and a Moabite artifact of a people now gone, an artifact that sits in the Louvre and proclaims the destruction of Israel. This remnant of Moab, as Rabbi Sachs has noted, is not only the second oldest mention of Israel outside the Bible, it is an obituary for Israel. It proclaims Israel is destroyed forever. But in the end, it is Moab, Mesha's kingdom, that ultimately disappears. And if Moab is remembered today, it is first and foremost through Israel. Because as we know, it is Ruth the Moabite who becomes an ancestor of the Davidic dynasty. And according to the Talmud, Ruth was not merely a Moabite, but a member of Moabite royalty, which would perhaps thereby link the house of David to the house of Meshach, king of Moab. Thus the irony. Moab waged war against the people of Israel and against the house of David. 
But now Moab lives on through the history of the house of David. The king of Moab proclaimed an obituary for Israel as he sought to wage war against the Israelite God. But thousands of years later, the people who really remember Moab is Israel. When they read the book of Ruth on the holiday of Shavuot, marking the day that they entered into a relationship with the Israelite God. History has unfolded in the reverse way than that which Mesha had anticipated. Israel is not destroyed, and Mesha is remembered first and foremost because of Israel. For me, personally, having visited the Louvre, it was not the Mona Lisa that was most memorable. It was standing next to the message of Mesha, a stone pillar declaring the end of Israel, and knowing, as a Jew, that despite Mesha's words, Israel still lives. Am Yisrael Chai. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.